welcome to another episode of Song Mess. My name is Richard Villegas, and well, today we're doing an English episode, and it's our 420 special. Light it up, lighters up, and uh, right now we're listening to a song called MMBF, Marijuana Must Be Free. This is by Guli and Catriel, uh, so we're going to wrap that up, and we'll be right back with a very special guest. Twenty, what it is? Uh, lighter, <laughs> lighter <laughs> up. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, out of habit now, I just want to do it in Spanish. But like, uh, no, today we have an English-speaking guest. I mean, we, we, you know, we'll probably get bilingual as we go. But um, welcome back to the show, Cat Donahue, la más felina, la más canábica. How's it going? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, Richard. We can do it in Spanglish. You know how you know how we do here how in the Ciudad de México. Um, I, it's been a while since you were last on the show. You were on the show um, at the beginning of the pandemic because, like, I was in the middle of releasing, I think, my Central American uh, interviews. And then when we were done, 
you dropped in for our first pandemic episode fully being like, what the fuck is happening? I think that's what we called it. Um, and much has changed. That was about a year and a half ago. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's over, but we're making it out the other side gradually. Um, how has the, you know, this time treated you? Um, it's been good. I mean, I feel like relative to a lot of my friends in Mexico City, I locked down pretty hard. Mm. It was kind of weird. I don't know if it was for you, like, riding the pandemic out, like, being from the United States and living in Mexico City, because I feel like what was happening in the two countries was so different in yeah. different times. Um, here, people, like, didn't really have the option a lot of the time to just sit in their house and work from home. It just, yeah. you know, it's not the economic reality here. Hello. So I didn't have, <laughs> a lot of my friends weren't, like, doing the whole, like, I haven't seen anyone in three weeks besides the, like, grocery store delivery person that my friends in the, and my family in the United States were going through. So I, I was feeling a little bit schizophrenic at the time. But anyways, uh, I got hit by Omicron in, in January. Uh-huh. Um, it I sucked. think me too. You too? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, basically everybody did. So yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Like I got sick and I was like, this tracks. Right. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that was a horrible for a week. But then at the end, I think once you get COVID once... Um, the fear that you have, at least for yourself, obviously Mm. I'm still concerned for like, you know, my elderly parents and other people who are like more vulnerable to these things, but, um, it kind of take a little bit away of the fear for, for me personally, um, my personal health. I, I kind of, I I was never necessarily afraid for myself, although, cause it's a gamble. You never know what, what you're going to get. I mean, it, it likelihood is as a young strapping, very attractive, very healthy young man (laughs) who's wearing cat ears at the moment and short shorts because <laughs> um, you know la que no muestra no vende um, you know but like you gotta you know like I was like the odds are in my favor but you never fucking know like it just you never but know. for me my biggest concern was like I you know I live on a rooftop here in Mexico City and like my next door neighbors are el- an elderly couple so it's just like bitch if I get it like I you know I could be putting these people at risk and I was like more than fear for myself I was like I don't want to be the guy that kills somebody's parents or grandparents like no. I'm not going to be that girl so like a lot of my friends uh, you know carried on you know playing maybe underground shows uh, throughout the pandemic and I got invited every single week and every single week I was like bitch you thought mm-hmm. um but, you know, everybody uh, exercises personal uh, responsibility. Um, but we are not here to really talk about COVID anymore. It's 420. Hey. Hey, lighters up. Eh. Um, and, I, again, I couldn't think of anybody else better suited for this conversation. Again, aside from the fact that you are already a friend of the show. I was literally on your show yesterday. Coronica, we'll, we'll get into more of that uh, a little bit uh, later on. But um, this episode will be all about 420. We talked about weed before, but, like, this will be all... All 420, all weed, all uh, matters of uh, legalization, politics, uh, what's happening in the world of weed. Um, and so I think this is actually like going to be very informative. I'm really excited for this episode. Um, that's why I've annoyed you a little bit about it. I'm like, girl, let's do it. Um, <laughs> Not annoying at all. <laughs> Any chance to get on Song Mess, I'm there. Uh, so let's start from the beginning. You know, like, so we do, we always do a who are you and what is it that you do, but specifically, Who are you and what is it that you do in the world of cannabis? For sure. Well, I am Caitlin Donahue, otherwise known as Cat. But if you're looking for my writing, you can find it under Caitlin Donahue. 
Uh, I'm a freelance journalist based in Mexico City, originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I've been living in Mexico for the last eight years. And for the past, I'd say about like, I'm a culture writer. I was kind of like grew up in like the alt weekly scene. So they raised me to be like all terrain vehicle. Uh, But for the past maybe like four years, I've really been honing in on drug, uh, drug politics and culture. It's super fascinating for me because, again, I grew up in California in the Bay Area, which is like the histor- one of the historic centers of cannabis activism, you know, in the world. It was one of the first places to have legal medicinal, uh, just that like confluence of HIV, AIDS activism and cannabis really had its ground zero uh, in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. Um, and then I moved during the medicinal era, I moved to Mexico City, you know. Mexico being the country that has supplied cannabis yeah. for like a large portion of this hemisphere for, for many decades yeah. uh, pre this legalization era. And it's just really blown my mind to be able to see what drugs look like, what the war on drugs looks like mm-hmm. also from both sides of this border. Um, so I've been getting into that. Uh, I have been a contributor to High Times, currently a contributor to Snoop Dogg's website, Mary Jane. And about two years ago, I started my weekly Spanish language radio show, Cronica, which is an interview show, much like Cronica. I mean, much, much like Song Mess. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, that's not a coincidence. You were the madrina, the show. <laughs> um, and yeah, sure. and Yeah, and we just we talk to everyone from like senators to uh, people who run like safe consumption sites. Um, It's to DJs that that use a certain psychoactive substance in in their practice, Mm -hmm. you know. it's really expanded. It started really just with weed, but we I've I've come to realize that like anti-prohibitionist politics don't make any sense if you limit it to weed. So we've really started incorporating um, discussions about all kinds of substances over the last year. Everything from a mona, which is like, you know, like paint thinner, which is like the, the cheap drug of choice here in Mexico, to uh, meth, to um, ongos, uh, mushrooms, to LSD. Um, you get it all in Cronica. So, yeah. And, and I want to I wanna take this opportunity because, again, like I, I think a lot of times in song mess i'm very proud actually of of having complicated conversations sometimes and like you know just because we're talking about it doesn't necessarily mean that we condone all of it i but i also think it's important to not approach the conversation with judgment it's just it's a reality uh you know talking about meth talking about pain thinner um and i I think that's something that you do really great it's just like it's just like well what's the tea like let's talk about it and let's unpack it and if you know like it can it be better is it like you know is it kind of weird and scary maybe it's intense you know like but again this goes hand in hand with realities that people live through i mean chem sex is a real thing you know and again i think more than approaching it with judgment it's like what is it you know like so many people just don't understand what these things are so it these are conversations that i'm really eager to get into uh today um let's talk about some music because again you know we have a playlist of course dear listeners all 420 baby um we started out with a song uh by guli and catriel it's called marijuana must be free Uh, do you agree must it be free cat (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think that you should pay cultivators. Hey, there but, we go. <laughs> but I think as, in terms of like, should there be less regulations on the use and production of cannabis? Pff, absolutely. Excellent. Um, up next, we're going to listen to a song by Los Rivera Destino, a little bolerito. 
Uh, I feel like, you know, from like some electronic R&B moments to some boleros, I think this is a great uh, shift. Uh, this is Mis Amigos. I also wanted to listen to this song now uh, because you had the chance to interview them, I think on Cronica, right? Uh, like yeah. a while back. T tell us about that experience. Yeah, it was rad. Um, I was really excited that their team reached out because, you know, after working with Bad Bunny, like there's no way you're not going to blow up, Hello. right? Um, so it was a big get for the show that they that they sought us out, that they wanted to appear on my, like, little drug radio show. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we were able to connect via Zoom, um, which was rad. And, and they're big, like, they're, they're big media guys, right? They had their own YouTube channel, so they're, they're excellent at talking. And I was kind of... I was intrigued and pleased to find out that not only do they like sing about cannabis um, as they do in this in their most recent single, Mis oh, I guess it's not their most recent single anymore, but yeah. it came out earlier this year, Mis Amigos that we're about to listen to. Um, but they're also really into to, to advocating for, for cannabis access in Puerto Rico. Um, so I was going to say, did, did they did they actually talk about what cannabis usage or regulation looks like in Puerto Rico? Yeah, totally. We talked about the experience. I mean, Puerto Rico has medicine marijuana so we talked about and they have their medicinal cards so we talked about the experience of shopping in medicinal dispensaries in Puerto Rico uh, we talked about the history of cannabis policing in Puerto Rico which wow. I think um, you know really plays into this whole like there's been a lot of talk recently around the early criminalization of reggaeton for mm -hmm, example mm -hmm. um, and I think cannabis definitely played a role in that because weed across the world is a way that cops is an excuse cops use to pick up basically whoever they want to yeah right Right? So marijuana is always going to be a part of like when you talk about like racist policing, like cannabis is always usually in there. So we got into that. They talked about different um, different people in Puerto Rican culture who had been advocates for cannabis through the years, whether that be from from music, whether that be from other um, mediums. Uh, so, yeah, they were really fascinating and very thoughtful. So, Amazing. yeah. And this song is super cute. And we will be linking to Cronica in the show notes to your listeners so you can go and enjoy all of those uh, very uh, aerial 420 conversations. And I think one thing that I love about Misa Migos, the song that we're about to play, is that it's not like, it's it's adorable and it's talking about, it's not even about, it's not even from the perspective of a stoner, actually. Okay. Like the dude in the song, the, the person who's narrating the song is talking about Misa Migos son los stoners, so okay, it's, okay. and it's like, but but you could kind of, but it's like kind of one of those situations where you're like not really like trusting all the way it's like okay all your friends are like huge stoners and you are singing about it but you are not you know what i mean i don't know it's just cute and it shows how like the kinds of music that's associated with cannabis is really expanding it's not just reggae it's not just hip-hop yes. you know here we have boleros and we're about to hear tons of different genres on this show yeah. so I also, I, I think that song speaks a bit to me reporting on a lot of 420 this year because I <laughs> am very much not a stoner. We'll talk about a little bit more about that in a bit. Uh, but we're, right now we're going to listen uh, to Los Rivera Destino. This is Mis Amigos, and we'll be right back with more of that for good 420. <laughs> pasto fuman se arrebatan se ajuman con un blomo con pluma siempre andan feliz mis amigos fuman hierba siempre están hecho mierda no les gusta la coca todo siempre por boca nunca por la nariz 
hermanos, pero son mis hermanos y los quiero yo así. Mis amigos suman moto, siempre están a lo loco. Cuando están en España y no encuentran la ganja, se fuman el hashish. Mis amigos usan bonga, siempre la cogen longa. Nunca aceptan derrota, siempre se fuman otra, nunca se quieren ir.
All right, and we're back. And the second song that we just heard there is by Los Racas, uh, hometown heroes of the Bay. Um, the song is called Gasolina, a little trappy perreo moment. I thought it would be cool since you were talking about the early criminal criminalization uh, of uh, reggaeton. Uh, and then also talking about how the Bay is like this big... Uh, kind of uh, epicenter for like, you know, or ground zero for a lot of this uh, legalization and activism. Um, tell us about this song and then we'll let's talk more about the Bay and the, and the history. Yeah, totally. Well, Los Racas, um, they're East Bay, uh, like from the Oakland area, um, but they're originally from Panama. So I don't know. It just shows like a lot of like the diverse influences that you're going to see in Bay Area music. And I think that also goes for Bay Area cannabis. I mean, there's all kinds of people that have been involved in Bay Area cannabis, starting with like, I mean, I don't know where it starts, but there's been like the hippie movement, sure, for course, example. Uh, which, <laughs> since the 60s, yeah, of course. Uh -huh. And then you had like, like I was saying before, and the HIV AIDS activists, because it turns out that cannabis is really great for treating a lot of the symptoms yeah. of HIV and AIDS, like nausea, like loss of appetite, like body aches. Um, and so in the 80s and 90s, when people started figuring that out, HIV and um, HIV AIDS activists became some of the like foremost like most visible faces of cannabis activism. I want to talk about like two different people who are both from San Francisco or both did their most important work in San Francisco. Um, one of them is Brownie Mary, who which is this, like course, this yeah, little yeah, yeah. old grandma who was who went around baking cannabis brownies and bringing them to the HIV AIDS wards in the hospitals in San Francisco to the patients because a lot of times, I mean, obviously you can't really smoke in the hospitals, so like your edibles are going to be your best bet. She started getting she got arrested and that became like a huge cultural moment in terms of cannabis advocacy in the United States because you had this little old lady up there on the stand yeah, yeah, yeah. who had been bringing medicine to sick people who had a chronic wasting disease so like Uh, that really helped turn public perception. Another person who really helped turn public perception was this guy named Dennis Perone, who lost one of his early partners from HIV to, to AIDS, and he ended up opening up a place called the San Francisco Buyers Club in the early 90s. The San Francisco Buyers Club was cannabis dispensary, um, but it was geared towards HIV-AIDS patients. It was also kind of like a social club, so like mm. people would also consume there. So it became a hub for people, um, not just for sharing resources about HIV, AIDS, but also about cannabis advocacy to the point where the police came and raided it, um, shut it down about a month before um, an election that we had in California. On and on those ballots was a ballot measure about medicinal marijuana. Okay, and they thought that they, they, the cops thought that they were going to like you know further criminalize. Uh, right. consumers of weed by this very high-profile action that they took in shutting the San Francisco Cannabis Bars Club down. The opposite happens. <laughs> Work. And people saw what was happening and saw these sick people that were getting divorced from their medicine, and they overwhelmingly voted in favor of the, of the measure. And that's how we came to have medicinal marijuana in California, which was the first state in the United States. And like That was like roughly when did that... The Did it, did it pass? Oh, Christ. Well, it was in the 90s? <laughs> Don't ask me. Um, I, 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 will look at, I will look I will look it up on the next break, but I believe it was in 1998. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, well, it, but it's been, because I know California is a pioneer in this, in the medical marijuana game. So, like, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious. I want to tie it into Mexico because I, I believe uh, on Cronica and, th and through many stories that you've written, you've also talked about a lot of the uh, activists and advocates here. A lot of them are mothers 
um, who like are really trying like, you know, in in weed and marijuana, they have a medication for children with like their epilepsy and uh, stuff like that. Tell me about how that battle has unfolded in Mexico. Yeah. 1996. That's when ah. California got medicinal marijuana. I can't believe I can remember that. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, a lot of marijuana will do that to you. Um, <laughs> <well>. <laughs> okay. So yeah, HIV AIDS patients and sick kids have been like the two of the like the biggest motors behind the global cannabis legalization movement, um, and that's because. You can't deny it. You cannot deny the effect that cannabis has on specifically on children with severe epilepsy. Yes. Which is a horrible disease. Like you have these kids that are having like epileptic seizures many times a day. Like people can have them up to like 15 times a day, these seizures. And every time they're doing damage to their brain and to their body when they're shaking like that. Um, it's not cute. Um, and cannabis will dramatically reduce the number of seizure of epileptic seizures in, in most kids and most people. Um, so you, what will happen is that across the world, I mean, I have, I'm currently writing a book about marijuana in the Western hemisphere, um, geared towards a teenage audience. Um, and it's based around these interviews. And one of the interviews that I have in there is this with this woman named Ana Alvarez de, from Peru, who she's one of the founders of this group called Buscando Esperanza. Um, and Ana Alvarez, and this is this this is this is her story, but this is also the story of people from Colorado, from England, from other places in Europe, from all over. I mean, Argentina, all over the place. Um, she was desperate. I mean, her kid, her kid's brain was getting fried. Do you know what I mean? To put it in not too pleasant of terms, um, the family's life was was being was being ruined basically from this kid's health condition. None of the traditional medicines were, none of the Western medicines were helping. And she started looking on the internet, and she found out that cannabis, um, the cannabis oil, is a really effective therapy for this. So what does this mom do when she finds out that this medicine that is like extremely illegal and extremely hard to get in her country um, would help her kid? Well, she does everything that she can do, right? Yeah. Because that's what moms do. Um, and so oh, I'm like getting choked up now. But anyways, <laughs> but it's real. Like, so these moms will go far uh, for their for their medicine, and they'll also go far to advocate for their kids publicly. It's not just something that they're doing for their child. They start banding together. They form this group called Buscando Esperanza, and they started a, a group grow in a in an apartment outside of Lima. Um, that was basically public. I mean, they weren't hiding the fact that they were doing this. They were saying, this is for our children. Um, look at what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We are mothers. We are determined. Um, what happens, of course, the police end up raiding it. And the same deal with the San Francisco Buyers Club. Th that raid became a turning point because the mothers were like, you're raiding us? Okay, fine. Then we're going to launch a protest outside of our apartment, and then we're going to start marching. Yeah. And people started joining them. And then that's how Peru got its first me medical marijuana legislation. Um, as is the case in many places, it's it was too limited. Like a lot of times, California didn't have this problem because it, it went straight to, to um, legalizing smoking flour. I mean, there was less limitations in California about what kind, what constitutes medicinal marijuana. But in a lot of other places around the world, they're starting out with legalizing medicinal marijuana by just legalizing these pharmaceutical corporate, these corporate pharmaceutical products, which are oftentimes 
financially outside of the reach of many of the families and, and individuals that need it. Um, so yeah, now Buscando Esperanza for the last couple of years has been fighting to expand what kinds of m marijuana ca cannabis products qualify as medicinal marijuana, um, especially with an eye towards legalizing medicinal marijuana that can be grown and processed by people and families themselves, right? Like that's super important to be able to grow your own medicine. So yes, and we're gonna get into you mentioned the, the pharmaceuticals and you mentioned the autocultivo and we're about to get into both of those in a sec. Let's take a musical break. Um, I feel like, you know, talking about decriminalization, talking about this activism, uh, I want to play a song called No Soy Criminal. I think it's extremely appropriate. This is from Mexican rapper Yas Bones um, and she, uh, this is featuring Acapella, who I believe is from Venezuela, I want to say. Um, both very well-known rappers. Yas Bones is actually tremendous. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of hers. Uh, Same. You and I saw her once. I don't know if you knew who she was, but I didn't know who she was. I knew um, who she was. Okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, 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 we went to see Santa Fe Clan before he blew up. Um, and so, yeah, this song is really great. I, I like they're both excellent in this, but I particularly like, uh, Yoss Bo Bones' uh, lyricism and flow here, uh, cause it's very slinky. It's very slow. It's not like, it's not really in your face. It's a very chill, uh, but very concise, very straight to the point, uh, song. So again, this is No Soy Criminal by Yoss Bones and Acapella. Uh, and we'll be right back with more of that good 420. Bajaron fiera y ya nos tienen contra el poste Terrible, ¿no? Pues, ¿qué pasó? Solo era un gallito, nadie le afectó Haga paro, patrón, ya no sea mamón Tengo un Diego Rivera, aquí nada pasó mm, mm. Considero una falta de respeto a mi persona Soy marihuana y tu coyote Napoleón Bad boys, bad boys, to listo pa'l party Humo de blueberry, mucho escándalo Bad boys, bad boys, to listo pa'l party Humo de blueberry, mucho escándalo Hoy la policía me arrestó por fumar Una buena verde que me acaba de pegar No me vea tan feo que no soy criminal Officer, todo bien, yo no soy de aquí Cargo un clip de whip, pero tenga su tip A poco por un gallo a mí me quieren arrestar Si es normal cargar consumo personal Voy al frente, haga paro y déjeme please Solo voy por un refresco y burgos double cheese De su acusación, ¿cuáles son sus pruebas? ¿Dónde está el kilo si esto es lo único que queda? No hay guns, no hay drugs, yo no soy plug 
solo hay 100 bucks, señor, lo siento. Estoy con mis G's bebiéndome un Six, bien feliz. Police arruina mi strip, si quiere pruébela. Llévese otra más pa'l crew. En América y Spain ya no hay más tabú. Hace mucho menos daño que la Nig y el Ron. Solamente necesitas el yesquero y el boom. Cuando chingados la van a legalizar. Ya estamos cansados que nos vengan a chingar. No hace nada malo y no lo quieren aceptar. Soy bien marihuano y me quiero arrebatar. Hoy la policía me arrestó por fumar. Una buena verde que me acaba de pegar. No me vea tan feo que no soy criminal. Solo marihuano con talento natural. Oh, yeah. Ey, qué feo patrón. Pero si nada más es un gallito, ¿qué es lo que es? Haga paro. ¿Cómo así? <risa> Ey, a capela. Just Bones, yeah, uh, Just Bones, uh. No 
le ayudan los demás Si me lleva el licenciado Con el juez se va a arreglar Yo no supe en qué quedaron Porque no escuché el final Pero fui All right, and we're back. And the second song that we just heard there is by Eli Quintero. This is called Los Empacadores. Uh, it seems that uh, Los Canelos de Durango have also uh, performed this song. It seems that this is just like kind of a classic corrido. It's on her classic corridos album, in oh. fact. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us about the song. I mean, and obviously, uh, I know Eli has sung many a corrido verde in her time. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, she has ties to the communities at, at in Sinaloa. Uh, tell us about Eli. Tell us about this song. For sure. Um, so Eli is a personal hero of mine. She actually was born in Barriera which is also the hometown of El Chapo, um, who is, yeah, uh, probably the most famous criminal in modern times. <laughs> um, it's Mexico's Al Capone. Exacto. <laughs> uh, his wife actually just got uh, Emma. Coronel uh, just got sentenced to three years for uh, assisting. But anyways, um, Ellie grew up in Barrio Guato. She has lived in Culiacan for many years. And she is a longtime singer of corridos. Uh, and it's really cool because... I mean, corridos are important, right? Because for a long time, there was no way of reporting on, in a literal sense on what was happening in the Mexican drug trade, which is huge and is like yes. uh, and, and impacts every part of society, every region of this country. Um, so corridos was basically this like kind of like folkloric way of like finding out about these figures that were kind of like shadow controlling the country. And it's been that way since the Mexican Revolution. This is not a new thing. Um, in recent decades, we've seen the rise of narco corridos, right? Mm -hmm. As the war on drugs has ratcheted up, as um, these cartels have gotten more and more powerful, we've seen the rise of certain figures that have then gotten their um, biographies uh, translated into song. Um, there's a lot to say about narco corridos. We're not going to go into all of that. Yeah. But um, what's really cool, and so Ellie has like interpreted a lot of these classic corridos, um, especially about some of the women that are involved in the drug trade, whether that be uh, partners of uh, the capos and sicarios or women who are in and of themselves like moving shit around. Um but what's cool about Los Empacadores is that it's not about a drug kingpin. It's about the packers of drugs, yeah. literally. I mean, these are the people who are, like, at entry-level, like, ground-level positions in this massive Mexican drug trade, um, you know, who, who might not necessarily be, like, lifetime criminals, right? It might just be that this is the local economy that they can mm. find... Um, work in and and I appreciate that em that Ellie like puts a puts a focus on like sharing the stories of those folks because those, these are the people that she grew up around these are the people that she continues to live around um, and 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 yeah and I think it's important that I don't know how much 
there's like this, this trend in the media these days about like really getting into the individual biographies of drug kingpins. Mm. And I question that tactic because I don't know how much we learn about the war on drugs by just like getting into the gory details of these like super ambitious, oftentimes very violent, very like ethically neutral um, people who rise to the top of the drug trade. I mean, they're sexy and exciting, but it's like, what's really happening economically? How is this actually impacting Mexican communities? and communities around Latin America. And I think that this song does a better job of highlighting, um, yeah, those ground level impacts on like normal folk and what it looks like to work in a drug trade, even if you're not like La Reina del Sur. Sure. No, I mean, and I think what you're saying about media is really important. And, and let's get into that because my, my dad is Colombian. My dad is from Medellin. My dad, well, he left before the whole Pablo Escobar situation. But like, you know, I had family there while that was happening. And like, it was just everybody was like, oh, girl, mm-mm, we can't go back to Colombia. And like, now you see, you know, Netflix producing Narcos and it's like, oh, yeah. And I mean, this isn't anything new. I mean, if you think about something like gangster rap, you know, just like the, the you know, the, the gangster figure have always been glamorized and nowadays I think that's one of my biggest takeaways actually in the four years that I've been in Mexico now um, is that it's a lot more gray than black and white like it's just like you know you know we're talk we talk about El Chapo like it's just international El Chapo's like this criminal El Chapo was a fucking hero like to a lot of people you know when there's institutional failings you know when there's like people going hungry when there's people fucking you know like Sinaloa gets these insane floods and it's just like the state does little to nothing and then like somebody shows up with a mattress at your door and and be like remember who hooked it up Mm -hmm. you know at the beginning of the pandemic that was happening I remember in Italy uh, when the state couldn't really figure out what to do, you know, the mafia showed up. La Cosa Nostra showed up. So it's just like the, you know, the I'm, obviously I'm not going to sit here and be like, woo, el narco, woo, the mafia. But it's, a again, as you said before, it's a lot more woven into society and it can affect any number of things. And many times very negatively, sometimes it is kind of the only uh, safety net for a lot of communities. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is the figure of El Patron. Right. And El Patron can be someone who works in in legal industries. Mm -hmm. El Patron can be fucking Elon Musk for, for, (gasps) you know what I mean? These are people who are like controlling (laughs) and structuring economies, whether that be local, global, regional, whatever. People like that have a lot of power and they do good stuff Mm -hmm. and they do bad stuff. And, you know, the mafia has always been good. uh, Controlled, uh, organized crime has always been good at, you know, like handing out turkeys at Thanksgiving, things like that. And these gestures don't don't rid the fact that the people in their communities have to pay them money to to maintain a business Mm. without, you know, if they don't want to get be the victim of violence or of economic repercussions. But, um, but yeah, it's way more complicated, like you said. And in a place like Mexico, where oftentimes the le- the legal leaders, if you want to put it like that, have been very disappointing. Sure. Um, it's not surprising that people will turn to these figures in, in the unlicensed economies. Um, it's not surprising that they would identify with them more, sure. as many people do with El Chapo, yeah. who I agree is, is if you go to Sinaloa, you'll find very, I mean... 
there's many people who, you know, who, sure. <laughs> who are not down to the drug trade in Sinaloa, but yeah, there's yeah, also yeah. many people who will be wearing the El Chapo shirt, the El Chapo hat, and the, who are very appreciative of the cartel's efforts in some aspects. So, yeah, another thing that we could talk about for a long time. Again, and again, and, and like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, this is not me being like, woo, cartels. Yeah. It's more like there is a lot of nuance that locally versus when you're a foreigner, it's very different. So, yeah, and I think just to, to, just to analyze, I mean, I really think it's useful to just think of the cartels as a, as a business, no, as a transnational business. Mm. And we can look at the pros and we can look at the cons, but like the fact that they're trafficking a substance that has been deemed illegal through like super unscientific, like not humanist means and regulations that are also oftentimes based in like really racist uh, criteria. Yeah. Like that doesn't mean there are any, you know, like it's just, it's good to have a lot of critical thought when we're thinking about transnational economies. Sure. And <laughs> actually we're going to get into transnational economies in a second. Um, I'm, you know what? I'm going to shift, uh, shake up the, this playlist. I'm going to play a song by Arca. It's called Too Blunted. Uh, which I think is pretty straightforward. We're just, you know, uh, I mean, currently I'm a little too blunted from <laughs> from last night. I had this edible. Uh, I am not much of a cannabis user. I use it uh, a couple times a month to really help me sleep and reboot my brain. Uh, you have definitely been a bad influence. Uh, and I now consume it more. So sorry, mom. Uh, but thank you for that. <laughs> Your mom is down with herbal medicine? She is actually very down. She's like, she's like you know what? If it's good for you, fuck live um so shout out to her so yeah so we're gonna listen to two blunt and we'll be right back with some uh heavy conversation about transnational economies show de música emergente latinoamericana donde mezclamos entrevistas con los sonidos más frescos del underground su anfitrión Richard Villegas es un periodista musical contribuyendo a publicaciones como Remezcla, Rolling Stone y Bandcamp 
Y con Song Mess, las conversaciones toman un giro más casual y personal, revelando el mundo interior de cada invitado. Song Mess está disponible en todas las plataformas digitales. Escúchalo martes 9 p.m. y jueves 9 a.m. por Nova Hits Radio. Song Mess.
semillas libres. Vamos a sembrar. All right, and we're back. And the second song that we just heard there is by Sistema Solar. It's called Pa Sembrar. Because um, I wanted to talk about um, home growing. Um, and I think that goes very much hand in hand with, again, these transnational businesses that you were talking about. Because it, it, you have described it as a sort of cannabis neocolonialism, the way that like so much... Uh, th that this cannabis industry is starting to legalize consumption and sales and production of it in different countries, but like only for corporations and not for individual citizens. And I think that is both fucked up and fascinating at the same time. Um, it, it's a massive topic. So where would you like to begin? <laughs> um, sure. Well, I think what where I'd like to begin is that we're getting to, as more places start to legalize cannabis, Um, we are getting to the point where it is clear that it's not just about legalization. It's about what kind of legalization, mm -hmm. because it is entirely possible to legalize these substances that have been whose consumers and producers have been historically uh, persecuted um, in a way that does not benefit them in the slightest. <laughs> um, in many places, and we've talked about this, uh, I've alluded to this before, um, the first thing to get legalized are car corporate pharmaceutical medicinal products. Mm. That does not help the person that's getting extorted by the police because they have weed in their pocket. Um, that doesn't even help like the poor, the lower income families that need weed for their sick kids. Um, so, and, and you, and that's on an individual level, but we can expand that even further um, to country by country. Uh, and I think a good way of thinking about this is to think, okay, where was the, who was getting money off of cannabis prior to legalization and who was being persecuted for it at the same token and who was getting money from it post legalization. Right. Um, I think like one of the most stark places uh, to talk about like cannabis neocolonialism is uh, Colombia. To go back to Colombia, mm. uh, Colombia, as we all know, was the site of like a decades long uh, civil war of the government against these guerrilla forces and drugs were used. The production of drugs of, of cocaine and to a lesser extent, marijuana did fund those guerrilla, the, the, uh, the FARC and the uh, guerrilla forces in Colombia. Um, when it came time to legalize cannabis, it was almost marketed as part of the peace talks. Yes. It correct. was, aha, um, it was marketed as a way that we were going to, um, that cannabis, these small cannabis farmers in these areas that were controlled by the FARC were going to be able to independ like become independent from the, mm. these guerrilla farms. They were no longer going to have to rely on the FARC for their paydays now that they could sell these, this marijuana uh, to uh, legal clients, legal distributors, what have you. Um, That's not how it's been found out in, in well. Colombia. Um, now Colombia is basically a place where um, a lot of like international Canadian-based, U.S. and Canadian-based cannabis corporations will grow the raw products for their pharmaceutical um, products that are now legal in, in many markets across the world thanks to their lobbying, <laughs> their adept lobbying. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't help. And, and, and for the average Colombian farmer, like going back to those Colombian farmers, well, fuck them because they're not the ones that are, they're not the ones that are getting the licenses to cultivate this. These cultivation licenses are expensive. Yes. They require facilities that are enormous, that are way beyond the means of most of the farmers and, and that we were talking, these poor, vulnerable farmers that we were talking about um, when, it, when we were marketing legalization. Um, so that's kind of what I mean when it comes to like cannabis neocolonial 
colonialization, like this industry becomes another means for the so-called developed countries to um, use the so-called developing countries right. as places uh, to, to grow the raw product. And then they get sold at a low price to the developing countries, which then um, process them and are able to sell them for a huge markup yeah. to the to the industry. Another place where that's happening is Africa. Africa, which was the first place in the world where people smoked marijuana. I mean, you know, a lot of the world's marijuana. I mean, Latin America has smokable marijuana thanks to people from Africa, the enslaved people from Africa who brought those seeds over with them. Um, but Africa does not have, I mean, you're not gonna see a lot of decriminalization happening in Africa around, but what you are seeing is a lot of legalization of medicinal marijuana and once again, the legalization of this corporate system mm. of production. Um, so unfortunately, Africa, a lot of parts of Africa, including South Africa, um, has become kind of like the place where that, that Europe is using to like grow their weed and then live label like aha to process it into products for people in Europe. No, I mean, and all of this that you're mentioning, obviously it makes so much fucking sense. No, it's just like, it, it's always about like, you know, the capitalism as a path to uh, legalization of anything uh, as a as capitalism, as a path to freedom is always something that we should need to be very vigilant about and very weary of. I mean, you were talking about, you know, Colombia, um, I interviewed a musician uh, from this band called Baltus and they're like a psych band or whatever. And he was telling me about like how like um, I don't know the exact status of marijuana in Colombia, but it's either decriminalized or it's a medicinal or some legal in Bogotá. Possession or something. is decriminalized for up to 20 grams. Got it. Um, marijuana, medicinal, like certain medicinal marijuana products are legal. Recreational marijuana use is not. So if a cop catches you smoking weed on the streets of Bogota, uh, you can still go to jail. It's only possession is decriminalized. Well, but what he was telling me is like that has created gray areas. Mm -hmm. And so like he's like downtown Bogota is just you smell weed on every corner at all times of the day, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he's like 420 is great. And he's like, this is starting to sort of uh, uh, foment a sort of like uh, it's, t it's starting to attack stigma. It's starting to bring down stigma. And he's like, it's allowing us to heal after decades of like drug war. And, like, we've all been affected in some way, shape, or, or another. You know, the other thing that you were talking about, again, these, like, uh, corporations coming and, like, getting the cultivation rights while the individuals uh, in the, the the regular, regular citizens are fucked. Um, I talked to this uh, a rapper from uh, uh, Costa Rica named Nakuri. She's been a guest of the show. Y'all can go listen to that episode. Uh, and she was telling me, she's like, you know, there's a legal loophole in Costa Rica that has always kept self-cultivation, like, home-growing, you know, legal she's like they can't get you for nothing she's like you know a lot of people just incorporate it it's like part of their like little farms and little huertos that they have in their house their, their home gardens um but now that like they're trying to pass medical uh marijuana they're trying to take those rights away and she's like you know and she's like a lot of people like the activists are aware and the activists are present and being loud but she's like it, this should be a national conversation because a lot of again just regular regular people just you know they just grow a couple plants and you know she's like i make shakes with it i vaporize and she's like i do all the i, I do all of the, the things and those rights might be taken away, you know, in the guise of you're getting more rights, which yeah. is bizarre. It's not, that's not the only place that that's happening, obviously. Not, yeah. I mean, uh, from anywhere from Northern California to, um, 
to, to a lot of places. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> I don't know a lot of other places, but um, but yeah, legally, once a legal industry is established, the state has an, a business interest in making sure the unlicensed industry goes away, mm. and that's that's just facts. I mean, I think that the, the starkest example of this right now is happening in California because you're seeing. I mean, there's so many taxes on on weed, on legal weed in California, like from cultivation at every step of the way, right? From cultivation to sale to distri- I mean. These small cannabis business are getting hammered. These small legal businesses are getting hammered. And as a result, the weed is expensive as hell. And there's, I can't remember what the percentage is of people of, uh, of, the, of the weed market in California that remains illegal, but it's vast. Yes. It's larger than the legal market. Um, people don't want to buy legal weed because it's too expensive. Um, and you're starting to see the state really go after these unlicensed. In, in L.A., there's like a battle between the government and the unlicensed dispensaries that have long been there. And um, there's a lot of publicity campaign around um, how these illegal cannabis grows are like, for example, like taking water um, in a lot of the rural areas, things like that. It also has a racism edge to it, of mm-hmm. course. Um, a lot of the people that grow illegal weed in California are um, from Mexico and from Asia, and so they'll also use that in their, like, bag of tricks to, like, kind of demonize what's going on with legal weed. But, yeah, of course, with legalization um, call it, comes even more danger if you if you continue to stay outside the, those, like, oftentimes very um, narrow definitions of what legal weed is. I know that's fucking right. And let's listen to this song by Sara Ebe, Tuve Que Quemar. I think this is a 420 classic. I, I know you've played this on the, on your show a bunch. Because, like, I was about to, like, transition to another kind of heavy topic. And I was like, let's leave it for the next section. Uh, and, and any words on, on this particular song? Because, again, I know you've played it a lot on Cronica. No, blaze them. <laughs> okay. So, again, this is Tuve Que Quemar by Sara Ebe. And we'll be right back with more 420. Tuve que quemar, 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 tuve
aprieto sale el líquido que me hace recordarte Me parte la mente, pongo el encendedor y le doy fuerte Quemo, 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 olor a muerte Quemo la mala suerte de no tenerte Ay, qué mala suerte la de no tenerte Qué mala suerte, qué mala suerte Olor a muerte, olor a muerte Debe ser libre Y el capitalismo no es quien nos describe No merecemos discriminación Pero ya estuvo bueno Vamos a tirarles los prejuicios sin miedo Basta de tanta farsa El cannabis nos activa y nos cura el alma Exigimos un trato digno que se base en la ciencia y en la ética, en derechos humanos. No somos criminales, somos tus hermanos. Exigimos un trato digno, con espacios de consumo compartido, libres de posesión, sin fines de lucrar, no es la intención. Y poder cultivarla, libre sin negociarla. Tierra para sembrarla, libertad para fumarla. Plantón 420, resistencia pacífica viviendo en la calle. Para que mi México de una vez por todas se pueda, se pueda liberar. Plantón 420, hasta la victoria. legal nos viene a sanar Exigimos un trato digno Que se base en la ciencia y en la ética En derechos humanos No 
somos criminales, somos tus hermanos Exigimos un trato digno Con espacios de consumo compartido Libres de posesión Sin fines de lucrar no es la intención Y poder cultivarla Libre sin negociarla Tierra para sembrarla Libertad para fumarla Plantón 420 Resistencia pacífica Viviendo en la calle Para que mi México De una vez por todas Se pueda, se pueda liberar Plantón 420 Hasta la victoria Right, we're back. And I wanted to come back with uh, Plantón 420. The song is by La Morra de Vihuela. Uh, because el, pan, el Plantón 420, I mean, I, I, you know, it's kind of like this tangled web of things because it's, it's this organization that has uh, actually been kind of successful in the push towards legalization in Mexico. Uh, tell us about uh, El Plantón 420 and then about some recent victories uh, that we've been seeing uh, happening in Mexico. Yeah, I would love to because um, I've been reporting on Plantón 420 for the past two years since their original protest camp was established outside the Mexican Senate. I also just interviewed Miguel Fernandez, who not only is like one of the head cultivators for Plantón 420 and one of the founding activists, but is also a member of this like I think he's second generation um, cannabis worker from Oaxaca. Okay. Um, so he knows his shit. But um, Plantón 420 is basically, it comes out of this group called Club, Club Cannabico Xochipilli, which was the first public cannabis consumers club in Mexico. They had a consumption lounge here in Mexico City. Um, they had like a medicinal uh, end of the organization that helped connect patients with the right kinds of products. Um, and they did legal advocacy as well. The guy who founded it, Haciel, was like a, was a lawyer and is like, a super creative legal mind, which is actually very prevalent within the Mexican cannabis movement, um, which is oftentimes used these really like innovative legal strategies um, to push push uh, cannabis rights because the politicians here have zero interest in doing that. Um, you can say that's because you know they're t they don't they're afraid of taking uh, profits away from their their pals and in, in organized crime or whatever the, or Catholicism or whatever the issue is. But politicians have done nothing. Basically, it's been all advocates and activists that have pushed this forward. Um, they're the ones that compelled the Supreme Court to to issue its uh, declaration of that cannabis prohibition is not constitutional back in 2018. Um, and so anyways, so it came out of this desire for the activists to really put the, put the focus on um, a couple of like key rights that they saw as being way more important than establishing a commercial cannabis industry in Mexico. One of them was the right to public consumption, which is really big mm -hmm. for people who do not own um, property or maybe rent or live with their parents or just live in a place where they can't smoke weed. To say that you can't smoke in public to, to these kinds of people on, who are living under those situations is to say to them that they can't smoke weed. So public consumption is really important. The right to, to possess weed, to walk around with it. Um, the right to home cultivation. Yes. Um, the right 
right to home cultivation is kind of a, a cornerstone to cannabis activism everywhere because it means that not only are you independent from um, organized crime, which is a big deal in Mexico, this concept of like blood-free weed, right? If you're cultivating in your home, you're not playing into this, this shadow economy that's responsible for a lot of violence. Um, but it's also in the era of legalization, it liberates you from like depending on fucking corporations for, for your medicine. Um, so anyway, so a couple years ago, they started uh, doing these like twice a week shifts, they called them, in front of the Mexican Senate in this place called, uh, in this place called Plaza Louis Pasteur, um, which is ironic because speaking of 420, the original 420 was this group of like California teenagers at San Rafael High School who would smoke every day at 420 in front of the Louis Pasteur statue in San Rafael. And so it's interesting that this like father of biology has kind of inspired cannabis activism in different countries anyways isn't he didn't he discover penicillin uh-huh i'll yeah. see Medi- medicine meets medicine baby if i'm not mistaken <laughs> he actually like invented the microscope oh uh-huh so he was the one that discovered not only like penicillin but also the fact that they're like micro that like mm-hmm. whatever the, i'm not a scientist Listen. look medicine medicine <laughs> medicine game recognizes medicine game it's fine i know he's a big deal shout out Lou Pester. um anyway so they started taking over this like plaza in front of the mexican senate and smoking and also they put out like a table with information for people who are passing by about why it's important cannabis legalization is important rights of individuals are important blah blah, blah. they decided that they wanted to set up shop there yeah so in the beginning of 2020, that's what they did. They just took over this plaza. Um, they started camping there. Uh, and now two years later, they're still there. And they have raised like a cannabis jungle. They have like a permanent bathroom that they in like, front of the Mexican Senate. Exactly. Y'all. <laughs> like basically blocking the visitor's door. So like if you are going to visit the Mexican Senate, you are going to have to pass by like this basic like just like huge because cannabis plants can grow really tall. They can yeah, grow yeah, up yeah. be like 10 feet tall. So. Um, so yeah, you have to walk by there. There's no, there's no escaping them. Um, that visibility has been amazing. And also the fact that they put the cannabis, the actual cannabis plant that they use the actual cannabis plant. And before this, they were also doing these actions where they would plant cannabis plants and like the angel of independence and like different, like really important monuments here in Mexico city, because there's something about people seeing the cannabis plant, um, in a country where there's so much stigma around this plant where it's so linked to violence, where everyone has an experience. The drug war has impacted everyone's lives in, in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, and without seeing the cannabis plant, it tends to become this thing that's like demonized, right? But when you're confronted with this like little leafy green uh. thing, like you start asking questions about what you've been taught about cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what Plants in Cuatro Veinte does. The, also, the really important thing that that protest camp has accomplished is that it's made that plaza a tolerance zone. Yes. So now even if you have no link whatsoever to the protest camp, um, you can go and smoke there any time of day or night without worrying at all. In about front it. of the Mexican Senate. Exacto. In front of, I mean, you can do it in front of cops. You can spark up and light there in front of cops. Um, this is like the vision that they have for all of Mexico, and they're starting it right there in, in their spot. So, like, for example, this week, Cuarto Veinte, like, tomorrow, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, tomorrow. 
There's going to be thousands of people in front of the Mexican Senate. There's going to be sound systems. There's going to be like a whole day's worth of educational programming from like vegan cannabis cooking to cultivation to whatever you want to learn about weed. Um, It's become like a very big source of force in Mexican politics. And as a result, and they've started thinking about spreading it around the country, right? Which is this decentralization concept is really important when the federal government's not doing shit. People are starting to think, okay, we need to start focusing on how we can push cannabis policy on like a more local level. So the Plantón Cuadrante activists have started traveling around the country, training people in different cities in Mérida, in Puebla, in in Oaxaca. There's like a a plantón that was in Monterrey very briefly um, and also holding activist schools here in Mexico City. So people who are interested in gaining cannabis rights um, for their own local jurisdiction can go there and kind of learn activism tactics from this really successful two-year protest camp. A big, big, big uh, success story has come out of this just last week. Um, The Plantón 420 Oaxaca activists found a legal loophole that Oaxaca de Juarez, which is the capital of the state of Oaxaca, did not have a law against public cannabis consumption. Um, so they started holding these demonstrations where they were smoking weed in public. They inevitably got arrested and they would say, why are you arresting me? Tell me what law. And after Ooh. doing that two times, um, they were able to get like a mesa de trabajo, like a, they were all able to like officially sit down with the city of Oaxaca and talk to them about this. And just last week, the city of Oaxaca put out a declaration that said, you know what? We don't have a law against public consumption of cannabis. We just ask that you not do it in front of kids or the hospitals, things like that. But that's it. So this is the first place in Mexico where it's been decriminalized officially. That's huge. Also in Oaxaca, just to mention, this doesn't have to do with Plantón 420, but Oaxaca last week also granted 26 permits to indigenous communities um, so that they could start cultivating marijuana for medicinal purposes, which I think is a little bit complicated given like what we've talked about with these communities, like the limits of their participation in the industry, because like if you can only grow raw cannabis flower, but right. you can only sell pharmaceutical cannabis products, well, you're going to have to go through a middleman, right? And that middleman is going to take a lot of the product, pro, uh, profits. But anyways, those are two like great reasons to celebrate 420 in Mexico this hey. year. No, and actually, you, I'm so glad that you mentioned, again, like these licenses to ind- indigenous farmers, because that was kind of like the next uh point that I wanted to cover is just that prohibition in general, when it was alcohol, really any drug, it's usually just a tool for oppressing people of color. Mm. Um, And so something like this, where again, it's a complicated, like, cool, like that these indigenous uh, farmers are getting are going to be able to profit. But you know, to what degree, uh, that's complicated. But, um, you know, I want to, I feel like that's something that doesn't get uh, talked about enough in the road to, to, to legalization and regulation and what have you. Uh, let's talk about the U.S. because the U.S. is very rapidly uh, legalizing. I believe 18 states have some degree of uh, regulation and, le- and legislation in place. Um, but also the U.S. loves imprisoning people for just about anything, you know. And like I was trying to, I was explaining to someone recently, I forget who, uh, but basically I was just like, girl, if they got you with weed in like your pocket, it's a wrap, you know, it's just like in, in many states and many places and a lot of people who are in the prison system, um, you know, it's for stuff like that or like small dealing or small consumption or what have you. I'm curious as we begin to legalize, what is the penal code starting to look like? Are we uh, trying to uh, liberate people? 
what's the tea? Totally. Well, okay. So I will say that across the world, the war on drugs is racially motivated. I mean, since Brazil, since Rio de Janeiro passed like the first laws against uh, cannabis in 1850, that was like specifically targeted at criminalizing the, the black population mm. there. So this is like something that goes everywhere. But what's really specific to the United States is, like you said, the prison industrial complex. Um, we love locking people up. Yeah, we do. Uh, the last prisoner, it's, it's really hard to figure out how many people are still in jail because of weed, but the last prisoner project, which is a nonprofit that works on this issue, um, estimates that there's still 40,000 people that are in jail for cannabis-related offensives in the United States. Um, and what are our politicians doing about this? Well, at the federal level, the thing that is actually closest, the House of Representatives did pass a cannabis legalization law, the MORE Act, um, recently, but it has basically zero chance in the Senate. The cannabis legislation that has the most chance of getting passed at the federal level in the United States is a banking Legislation, so it's to protect it's to protect banks that um, that work with cannabis money. Which, I mean, okay. On one hand, it's really dangerous right now for for cannabis businesses because they have to do everything in cash, and it's left them uh, sensitive open to robberies, which sure. we've been seeing mm. across the country is that people have been robbing the shit out of cannabis dispensaries. It actually resulted in uh, a clerk getting shot to death um, a couple weeks ago, I believe, in Washington State. Um, but, but yeah, that's at a federal level. Thankfully, um, like city by city, we're seeing more of these decriminalization measures a little bit like what, um, well, Oregon, the state of Oregon actually passed like one of the more comprehensive decriminalization measures last year. They decriminalized small amounts of all drugs, which which surprisingly is actually really common in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Colombia has legislation like that. Mexico has legislation like that going back years and years. But in the United States, it's starting to catch on. Um, different countries or different cities, uh, New York had a decriminalization measure before they passed uh, recreational cannabis legalization. Um, I know that Phil Philadelphia also has passed cannabis decrim. So that decriminalizes the act of carrying cannabis around with you. Um, but that's not happening fast enough. And even in the places where they have legalized recreational cannabis, again, it's like, what kind of legalization is this? Because if your legalization doesn't include automatic expungement, that means the automatic removal of cannabis-related crimes from people's criminal records, it means a shitload of red tape. It often means that people have to spend their own money on legal fees to get their cannabis-related offenses taken off of their 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 records so that they can get public housing so they can employment so they can you know what I mean and yeah. all these things that you can get when you don't have a felony on your record right um so it's a work in progress of course you know but I think it's interesting because as these cracks in legalization become to become become to become more apparent and as we begin to see that who is benefiting from legal cannabis, which is largely a white industry. The people who actually like manage to dig their heels in and establish cannabis business have largely been white people, especially in the United States. And a lot of activists are turning their gaze more towards decriminalization instead of legalization. Right. Um, because again, it's about like the Planton Cuatro Veinte. It's about centering um, our activism around personal rights, yeah. not corporation rights, not establishing co commercial industries, about making sure that individual people are safe and are not going to jail or having their lives ruined for like a drug that is 
compared to fucking alcohol, extremely benign. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and again, like I've I've been you know doing some writing and reporting and da 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 this this four twenty season uh, weird, but you know gigs of the gigs, handy. Um, <laughs> but <point>. but <laughs> I but but I've I've spoken to a couple of Brazilian artists recently, and they've highlighted you know just that like in Brazil, it's still very much a targeted uh, prohibition is a targeted measure towards uh, communities of color, communities of lower income, uh, specifically like peripheral or in the favelas, uh, La Bac, uh, who is uh, from uh, Sao Paulo and is currently based in Europe, highlighted that. Uh, I was speaking to Tiago França, who uh, he's like, he's a very well-known composer and saxophonist, and he does these charangas um, for like carnival. And so like, it, it's, it's been about a lot about like reclaiming public spaces uh, as people of color, because the government and the police do not like seeing large gatherings of, of people of color, because they're like, mm, that could be dangerous for us if they decide that today they're angry at the cops, you know, which they have every fucking right to be. Um, and, you know, one song that they put out uh, last year or recently is called Cade e Renan, um, which is Where's Renan, which is about how the, the, the government basically just, you know, arrested very shadily a DJ Renan, who's one of the pioneers of Baile Funk, um, just because he had his picture taken with like somebody who was like, was like a, a well-known drug dealer. And that was it. That was all the evidence they needed. And they're like, what? Um, so that they can still basically target these communities. Baile Funk is still, because it's a very, uh, it's a very popular Afro-Brazilian genre of music. It's, you know, from the favelas. It's just like, oh, we can fuck with the, with this community and like, fuck you. You know, so it's, it's one of those things. I, I want to actually transition. Um, I, I guess we could play that song. <laughs> I had a different one uh, uh, lined up, but yeah, let's play that song, actually. Uh, so we're going to listen to uh, A Espectacular Charanga do França, uh, and that song is called Cade e Renan, uh, and we'll be right back to wrap up this 420 special. Thank you. 
All right, and we're back. And the second song that we just heard there is by a Chilean artist called Kode. Uh, he, uh, the name of the song is Bong. Um, and uh, we couldn't wrap up this episode without talking about uh, the Cronica uh, meets Gato Gordo partnership bazaar uh, that had just happened this weekend, 420 Kitty City, um, which I, was sickening. I had a great time. <laughs> I think a lot of people had a great time because there were some brownies that were wreaking havoc on people. Um, so, uh, first of all, congratulations on a fabulous bazaar. Um, tell us about this whole initiative. Hell yeah. Um, so, Kronika is a pandemic project. It was started in 2020. So, I really haven't had a chance to, to, to say thank you in person to the people who have supported the show from day one. Um, a lot of whom have been these micro businesses, these micro cannabis businesses in Mexico City. I feel like those are the people who have been like the most avid supporters of the show. Um, and so I really wanted to have a moment where we like appreciate, uh, yeah, the small local cannabis businesses in Mexico, the independent ones that are doing it again, you know, blood free cannabis, et cetera, who are, uh, who are making products that make cannabis consumers lives better. Um, so Radio Nopal was lovely enough to, uh, to, to give me the space to let me use the radio station for this drug fair. Um, <laughs> love you, love independent radio. For those of you who don't know, is the, the largest um, internet radio station in Mexico. And the the station is based in uh, Colonia San Rafael here in Mexico City. So anyways, we had um, a small bazaar there, about eight different brands um, on a Sunday, Sunday of Semana Santa. So it was very chill. Everyone was kind of rec- recovering from the long holiday week. Um, and we also had a lineup of talks from different people who were discussing drug culture, past, present, and future in Mexico. Um, just to briefly mention them, uh, we had Ada from the Weed Laboratory, which is a drug analysis company. Um, they sell materials that you can use in your home for testing the purity of the, of your psychoactive substances. So that's not marijuana. It's stuff like Coke, MDMA, and the beloved Mexico City Tacha, which mm. is kind of like a cocktail of all kinds of crazy things. Um, there's these like chemical reactants, basically, that you can use to make sure that what you're taking is actually what you think you're taking. Okay. <laughs> um, so she did a little uh, presentation, and then I had Olga Rod- Rodriguez from the queer gallery Salon Silicon here in Mexico City. She did an, a fascinating presentation on the history of stoner art. Um, which is great. Uh, these are all presentations that have taken place on Cronica. Like, mm-hmm. so you can look at our archive at www.radionopal.com. We're also on Spotify and, and find um, all these people like in their hour hour long version of these talks. I also had Canativa, um, the founder of Canativa, Polita Pepper, is also the other madrina of Cronica. She is a cannabis legend and has been teaching people in Mexico City how to cultivate and process medicinal marijuana for nine years now which is like heavy because nine years ago the cannabis panorama was different in Mexico (laughs) so she came through and spoke about what that experience has been like about like yeah about providing those services she also brought with her Edan Salas who works for Canativa and also has her own um, platform called Transcannabicas which is kind of talking about um, trans issues within within the cannabis space which is really important because fucking cannabis people are not listen using Canada cannabis does not make you any kind 
kind of good person Hello. or bad person. Um, I don't know if you saw last January 6th, those U.S. Capitol people who were raiding and they were smoking on their fucking or they were vaporizing while they were like sacking the U.S. Capitol building. But anyways, um, <laughs> using cannabis does not make you more woke. It doesn't make you any kinds of things. And so talking Say about that. sexism, talking about transphobia within these spaces is still super important. So shout out Edan for, for pioneering that work in Mexico. Super important. Um, um, part of the reason I played the song Bong uh, just now is because I want to talk about merch. Uh, there was some fabulous merch at the at the at the uh, uh, at the bazaar at uh, Kitty City. Um, again, I got a shout out uh, Taller Kame House. They have the fucking coolest, craziest, most hilarious ceramics. I have uh, a couple of pieces of myself. <laughs> I don't smoke, but like they look wonderful on my mantle. Um, but also, you miss thing. Coronica has fabulous merch, which, dear listeners, you all can purchase. Um, tell us about what what is what you got on the docket right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, actually, the name of the event, Kitty City, comes from this uh, print, the silkscreen print that the artist Domino from Sierra Juarez uh, made for the show. She did Coronica's iconic logo which is a cat, a head of a cat smoking. But she was like, what if we made that into like a whole stoner cat version of the of Mexico City? I was like, fuck yes, girl. So you we were have like, uh, are you sexting me right I'm now? like, <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, she came up with this. I gave her a list of like my favorite businesses um a lot of whom like the people who are involved with them have appeared on the show so she made this incredible it's this like two color silk screen that we had produced at this like 40 year old silk screening studio in colonia Obrera here in mexico city um pink and black it's real cute um so we named the we named the event after that and a lot of the people who are, show up on the on the poster actually participated and also we have the <coughs> epic classic uh, Kronika logo tees. So if you need a t-shirt well, of a very uh, cool cat with wraparound shades smoking weed, yes. hit me up Kronika uh, CDMX on uh, Instagram or you can find me Birdwatch on Instagram um, or yeah at you, you can find all the info on the show there all that will 100% be linked um, and as we wrap up because we are almost done here um, I want to talk we've talked about legalization we've talked about decriminalization we've talked about normalization um, and as we move forward I mean we live in Mexico we're both gringos living here and we have a lot of gringo friends who come and like the, the moment they touch ground they're like okay girl but where can I get a bump you know um and as, you know, Latin, like, as the U.S. is collapsing, <laughs> more people are coming to Latin America. And so I get to wondering about ethics because the same people who be like, girl, everything is so dangerous here will be the first ones to be like, girl, but where can I get a dime? You know, where can I get a bump? When, where can I get, you know? So, like, I, I feel like a lot of the people complaining about these problems are the ones who are the problems. Um, so my, I guess my question is about how can people who are drug users – uh, coming to from the quote unquote first world to the quote unquote third world, um, how can they consume? How can they participate in an ethical manner or at least attempt to? Sure. Well, I'm a harm reduction girl, and harm reduction ta uh, ethics are based around the concept that drug use, the drug trade, is not the fault of a drug consumer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is the fault of a society that gives us all these fucking mental health problems that we need psychoactive substances to duck out on. Um, we've talked a lot about how about the ethics of organized crime versus the corporate system. So I am not the one that is ever going to tell you, don't do coke because it's attached to this violent industry because, honey, your Coca-Cola tambien is... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so there's that. So, like, I don't know if you're... I don't do a lot of, like, inhalable drugs. I think that this conversation is also really vast because when it comes to drug ethics, we can also talk about the people who... Uh, present themselves as ayahuasca peyote mushroom shamans who sure. have no like grounding in the indigenous communities that like have developed that plant medicine over the over the generations so this is like a very vast topic but all i can say is i don't think there's any blood free coke out there so no. I, I mean there's not many. but what i can say is that like in terms of taking care of yourself if you live in the united states there is all kinds of tools that are available to you for drug analysis, for home drug analysis. If you live in the United States, I highly recommend that you invest in some fentanyl test strips because fentanyl is, while it's not something that has like really hit the drug consumption market and market in Mexico, but it's causing chaos in the United States and in a lot of other countries, and it's causing a lot of deaths. So if you can get your hands on fentanyl strips, um, and just test whatever, every, basically any drug that's not caffeine, sugar, uh, alcohol, or marijuana should be tested for fentanyl now in the United States. It's not so much of an issue here in Mexico, but there are other kinds of contaminants can, that can come into drugs in Mexico. So maybe like educate yourself on how to identify those um, and get those test kits, which again are available in the United States and are not available in, down here in Mexico. So if you want to bring some down for me, that'd be sick because I can distribute them. Um, but that's the thing. Yeah, and, and understand. I think that it's hard to be like a thoroughly 100% conscious consumer sure, sure, in sure, today's sure. day. But I think just like being aware of those contradictions. It just rubs important. me the wrong way when like, again, some random from Australia lands and it's like, hey girl, we're going to get the lines. We're yeah. going to get them in April. You know, uh-huh. just like. Mm-hmm. And as speaking as like someone who used to be like pretty deeply embedded in nightlife, mm-hmm. um, don't be a fucking dumbass with your cocaine. Like, I feel like people, I hate to like, I don't want to like stigmatize cocaine users because I don't believe in stigmatizing drug users. But I find that there's a certain tendency among people who do do coke that they want to do it like um everywhere and and they want to like do it out in the open and they and they get surprised about why people are are why they get in trouble in clubs here yeah um that's i've seen that a lot actually they're like why did that security guard kick me out of the bathroom when i was just doing it's like well honey you have to understand that these drugs are like very closely linked with like very intense violence. Like no one cares that if you do cocaine, no one does, <laughs> but just understand that like visible drug use and a lot of those nightlight situations, you're putting people at risk around you and you're especially putting the promoters and organizers and owners of the spaces at risk. So like, really try to keep that shit on the DL. I, if you're visiting here, as much as I've talked about like normalizing the use of, of drugs. If you are a person from the United States visiting Mexico City, 
please don't do drugs out in the open. Don't do any drugs in, in the open. Like, don't. I mean, if you want to go to the Plantón Cuatro Veinte and smoke weed there, that's totally fine. Don't smoke it in the street. It's just not cute. Like, I understand, like, yeah, they should all be legal. I get it, I get it, I get it. But it doesn't look cute. It looks like you are using Mexico as your playground, um, which is the history of the United States and Mexico as the United States people coming here to do stupid, illegal shit. And you don't want to be a part of that. Now do you? So there's that. And in terms of weed, you can totally buy blood-free weed. Um, I am not going to tell you where to do it on a podcast because that would be (laughs) super dumb. But if you have friends down here, which I hope, I mean, which you might have if you're coming to visit, you might have friends down here. Um, Ask them if they know good places to buy weed. Um, Don't do it on the street. I actually don't recommend buying weed at Plantón Cuatro Veinte either. Um, there's a lot of people selling weed there, but they are all like organized crime type people. So maybe, maybe duck, duck out on that. It's just my personal take. Do whatever. But and yeah. don't ask me, child. Leave me out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, don't ask me either, please. I'm just like stating that. Like I don't. I fucking hate it when people visiting from out of town ask me because they'll ask me what what has been happening recently. Recently, is they'll be like, oh man, no, I want the good weed, the good weed, and so I'll give them my good weed hookup, and then they'll d- tell my good weed hookup, oh, your shit's too expensive. I'm like, so fuck. Then off. don't ask for Grey Goose if, all, if what you're trying to pay for is Sky. Yeah, if um, you want well, baby, just drink well. <laughs> Come on. Uh-huh. And on that note, um, Kat, uh, where can people follow you on social media? Where can they listen to your show? Where can they read your stuff? Yeah, totally. Well, um, I think just to like condense it all, uh, I contribute regularly at maryjane.com. That's just like short, like global cannabis news pieces if you want that. Thanks, Tio Snoop. Um, you can find me, Cronica, at www.radionopal.com, also on Spotify. All the information is kind of condensed on Instagram at Cronica uh, CDMX, or you can find my personal stuff on Instagram at Birdwatch, that's bird with a Y, B Y R D, or on Instagram at Caitlin Donahue. Perfect, perfect. And watch out for my book for teens on weed in spring 2023 coming out on Learner Books. Yes! Okay, and I'll, I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes. Uh, dear listeners, I'm Richard Villegas. This is Songless. My guest is, of course, La Birwatch, La Caitlin Donahue. Uh, the show is Cronica. Uh, and again, much, much, much. Happy 420. Uh, remember that you can listen to this episode as well as our over 360 episodes uh, on your favorite plat- podcasting platforms. I, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Deezer, et cetera, et cetera, SoundCloud. Uh, you can follow us on social media, everything at SongMess, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I will be linking uh, everything in the show notes. I The Bops playlist is always in the show notes. And actually, I just curated uh, a special 420 playlist uh, for uh, Kronika, for the for the Kitty City Bazaar. So I'll link that as well. So you guys can, if you're really trying to just like light up and just vibe, it's a very cute it's like playlist. Five hours long. It's five hours long. It's eighty songs. Um, so take that, eat that edible, eat that high dose, woo. and just like take off. And it's and it is curated. I didn't just throw in every weed song that has ever existed. I actually like you know it has a flow, it has a vibe, it goes from genre to genre. It's cute. It really is a ride. Uh, so I think you will all enjoy it. Uh, we're gonna close out with a song called Mota o Perreo. This is by Michelle Blades, um, and I think it just kind of s- surmises 
is what we were just talking about a bit about nightlife, about, you know, a bit like about just like, you know, sometimes you just want to vibe. Uh, and again, I, f- I think it's a great spirit to really sort of like, you know, set you on your way for the rest of 420. So enjoy. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, this is Michelle Blades with Mota Perreo. Thank you, Kat, for being here. And we'll catch you guys next time. Show Meow! Solar